Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Let me just jump right on in. You know, I think if we make the devil our focus, uh, we're always going to be on the run. Amen. We're always going to be on, on uneven, shaky ground. So whenever we start talking about tearing down territorial spirits, excuse me for just pacing here for a little while, okay. sometimes it helps. Praise God. You know, when we start talking about going after the devil, we are not making the devil our focus. This, this is just uh, sometimes, and I've said this a lot lately, it's just because it keeps coming up. You know, the Lord keeps bringing my past up. Because he keeps bringing up my upbringing. And there's a lot of awesome and powerful things that were in my upbringing, but there are also some human error. And the, I, I look back on my own ministry, and there's some great things in my ministry, but there's also a lot of human error. So uh, if there's any human error... On my part, I want to be diligent in the Holy Ghost and as your pastor to make sure you don't take bad things from my example. I may not teach it to you directly, but if you learn it by my example, then you've still learned it. And I, we don't want that. So we don't want to ever have you think that our focus is on the devil. Right. Well, he's the enemy. Right, he's got our focus is Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Our focus is Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, uh, we, 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 I run into this problem, and maybe you do too. I won't, I won't put that on you. I won't accuse you of it. But uh, maybe you've had this problem before. We, we just have our focus on the wrong thing. We have our, you know, okay, um, we're, we're in this church. We want this church to grow. Well, church growth is a wonderful thing. Is it our focus? No. I mean, if you guys don't know the answers, I'm going to answer for you. The, the answer is not church growth. Um, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to get, you know, a lot of nice, shiny, you know, affluent people in the church in order to pay nice big sums of tithes so that we can build a bigger and better church. Is that the focus? No, it is not. If these things should happen, well, praise God, but that's not really the point. I felt for many years now that if we, if we should get an attendance upwards around 100 people, we almost, we, no, not almost, we most definitely need to split and start a new work. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we can't start new works long before we get to a membership of 100. But here's the thing. We're not, we're not really shooting for a particular membership, right? right. We're... We're the people of God. We're the family of God. And sometimes we have to look at ourselves as sheep in a pasture. Sometimes we have to look at ourselves as in a family. Sometimes we have to look at ourselves collectively as the bride, right? Sometimes we have to look at ourselves collectively as the body. And that really, those two ideas incorporate the whole kingdom of God. But sometimes that's exactly how we have to look at it. We have to look at it as a kingdom ruled by a king. Right, and, and who are we in that kingdom? You know, just because it's a kingdom doesn't mean all of its citizens are soldiers. But it doesn't mean they're all farmers either. But you're going to notice, in, you know, like back in especially feudal times, most of the citizenry were farmers. But when they needed armies, those farmers became soldiers. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Even if yeah. all they had was a pitchfork or some old spear, right? Then, you know, the king said, call up 
the conscripts, right? Call, call, up, call up the people, and these people would show up with whatever armor they could, they could uh, muster and whatever wep weapons they could dig out of their chests and attics and haylofts, whatever, right? Amen. And they would, these farmers would turn into soldiers. And, uh, of course, obviously there would have been specialty soldiers who were trained as an army, but, you know, what I'm getting at is we don't always have to look at ourselves the same way. We will fulfill different roles. And in this kingdom, we're not always in a fight. Mm -hmm. But when the call goes out, a high place has to come down, then we turn into soldiers. Right? Amen. We turn into soldiers. And, and it's not like our focus is the enemy, but if you don't pay attention to what the enemy's doing at the same time, you will lose. You know, in, in warfare, if you don't take the high ground, you are in a very compromising position. In warfare, if you don't have more numbers with you than the enemy has, you could be in a compromising position. And that's naturally speaking. That's not spiritually speaking because with God, we're always a majority anyway. That's the reason why Jonathan and his armor bearer, that's the reason why Gideon and his 300, that's the reason why uh, Abraham and his, what was it, 186 men of his own household. That's the reason why these small numbers of people could chase after large armies and win. In Gideon's case, they didn't have to raise a hand. You know, that's the reason why a couple of guys can raise up Moses' hand and the people of God just win. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the reason why when, when they were depending on their own might going against Ai, they lost the first time. They lost 36 men. You can figure, well, out of all the armies of Israel, all the hundreds of thousands of men in Israel, 36 isn't that bad. And yet it was devastating to them because they weren't used to losing because they had circled Jericho for seven days and didn't lose a man. So then Joshua said, all right, we're going to get this thing straight. What did he do? He went up, he had a meeting with Jesus. Uh, whether you know it or not, I think he had a meeting with the captain of the host. I believe that was Jesus. Praise God. And uh, he, to, he has a meeting with him, and uh, he gets some things straight. He, uh, he works some things out with uh, Achan and all that stuff. And then they, they go after it, and they take the proper amount of people this time. They didn't take them for granted, and they routed that place, right? Mm -hmm. We just got to get things in order. There are some things that sometimes are, well, not sometimes, all the time, is counterintuitive to our gray matter. Don't depend, and I know you hear me say this all the time, but it's serious. Don't depend on your intelligence. Don't depend on your worldly knowledge. I'm giving you all kinds of, uh, kinds of things from worldly understanding, but I'm not trying to encourage you to trust in them. There are certain principles in life that God will just give us because it always works, right? Like, you know, we see in the Old Testament, it's, we see... An eye for an eye, right? A tooth for a tooth. <laughs> you know, and, and he goes on in that, you know, exacting, exacting numbers. Well, we have a law. We call it Newtonian, you know, because I, Isaac Newton was one of the guys responsible for laying down the math for this. But um, the law, it goes this way. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I know I've taught this a lot, but... But, but hear me out. Hear me out. I'm not, I'm not going to descend into an hour-long science lesson. Don't worry. 
All I'm trying to do is lay down a principle. That's a principle that Newton did not make up. It's simply a principle he discovered in nature. As he studied light and as he studied gravity and as he studied just physical interactions of force and momentum and acceleration and all these different things that he studied, he realized there are things that are always happening. It seems like an object in motion wants to stay in motion and an object at rest wants to stay at rest. And if you have uh, an action, there seems to always be an equal and opposite reaction so that if something is driving this way, there's always something driving against it this way of equal force. You know, and I know I always use the columns as an example, but that's, that's the one that's close to hand. If I push against this column, believe it or not, it is pushing back. How do I know? Because I'm not pushing the column over. There's enough strength in the wood and the nails and the glue and whatever else keeps this column up that it's strong enough to push back to a degree. Now, if I got the strength of Samson, I could push this thing right over. But that doesn't mean there's not an opposite reaction, an equal and opposite reaction. So I look at that as the idea of eye for an eye. Mm -hmm. So how do you reconcile Old Testament law with New Testament grace? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as New Testament grace. It's the grace of God through and through. Amen. The grace of God was in the Old Testament. The grace of God is in the New Testament. It didn't get invented by Jesus. Because Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. It's who God is. God didn't just make up the rules. He expressed who he is in his word. That's why I'm fond of saying he didn't make up the rules. He is the rule. And he's just laying who he is down for us. And we can either get on board with it or not. And so we don't have to make a difference between law and grace. Praise God. The law was grace. So how can you say that? How can you say the law is grace? Because the Lord is saying, this is who I am. If you will learn who I am, you will walk right and you will be blessed. You won't earn it. You'll just become more like me. Now, I know to the carnal mind, it looks like, well, we do this. If we mess up with it, we die. And that's what we always go to with the law. When you sin, you die. And that's what we think of the law. Paul talks about the law of sin and death. And indeed, there was a law of sin and death, right? You sin, you die. Mm -hmm. But that's not all the law was, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the law was remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Yes. Some of the law was honor your father and your yes. mother. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. why, why was that so important? Because it puts into us the understanding that if I am remembering the good things of God, am I, if I'm remembering how good he is, he gives me a rest. And sometimes we're so stubborn as humans that God has to tell us, take a break. And we're so stubborn as humans, sometimes he has to remind us, obey your parents, honor your parents, honor your authorities. Why? Because they have been set there to help you grow. Mm -hmm. 
It's not just because I'm the boss and you just do what I say. I know every parent gets to that place. Your, your child asks you why and you say, because I said so. But there's a bigger reason than that. Come on, every parent knows that. Every parent knows there's a bigger reason because it's going to it's gonna help you interact with people better. Or it's going to save your life. It's going to keep you safe. Or it's going to keep you healthy. Or it's, it, it's going to help you mature, right? Whatever reason a parent, or at least it should be, every reason a parent tells their kid that, there's always an underlying reason of, I don't want you to do it because it's going to lead you the wrong way. And I do want you to do this because it's going to lead you the right way. It's not just a hard-headed dad or mom saying, well, I'm the boss, bless God, you just have to do what I say. Now shut up and get me my slippers. Well, maybe there are parents like that, but uh, that's not the heart of God. It's the wrong example. So well, unfortunately, we take those examples into our, our spiritual life and no, 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 that's not it. God doesn't just tell us things to do in order to tell us things to do. Why does he say, why does Jesus say the greatest commandment is to love God? Because he knows that's best for us. If we don't learn how to love him like he loves us, and we have to learn how to love him like he loves us. We're told in the Bible, we know this in 1 John, uh, how he, uh, we love him because he first loved us. And we also know and out of that same book, it's not that we loved him first, but he loved us first. Amen? That, that's the order. He loved us first. And we have to learn how to love him. And can we learn how to love him like he loves us? Yes. Well, how does he love us? Unconditionally. Yes. See, we think it's a condition because Jesus said, um, you know, if you love me, you'll do whatever I tell you to do. That's John chapter 15, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it? I think it's 15. John chapter 15. If you love me, you'll do everything I tell you to do. Well, that sounds like a little kid on the playground, right? I'll be your best friend if you do what I want. Right. Well, this isn't a selfish human love. It's the kind of love that says, I know what love is because I am love. Mm -hmm. Jesus was the embodiment of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Yes. He is the embodiment of love. He yes. knows what it is. He knows what it is to be loved in action. He knows how well it goes forth. He knows that the devil hates you, and that's the reason why everything he does against you is in the manner of hate. And everything you do in the devil's camp is done out of hate. It goes so far in the, as in the book of Proverbs, I believe it's at the end of chapter 26, it talks about lying, and it gives us the hint that people that lie to you hate you. See, we think, oh, well, I have to lie in order to make people feel good. But if you lie to them, the word says you hate them. Well, in that case, what does it mean? It means you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. Even if, you, even if it might hurt their feelings now, you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. You know, I, I, I was listening to this one guy. He's an atheist. He's a worldly entertainer. And he said he was entertaining one night. And after he, he was entertaining in Las Vegas, the city of sin, right? After the show, he came down off the stage, and there was a man that, that gave him a gospel of John. And uh, he said, can I talk to you for just a couple of minutes? He said, sure. He's like, you know, Jesus loves you and, and wants to save you. Please, please read this. And find out about Jesus. And, and, and if you want, here's my number. Call me. And, and this entertainer basically said, Now, 
I, I, the guy was, you know, immature and he, he you know, he was a little naive. Uh, he's like, I, I didn't, I didn't receive uh, his his message because, you know, obviously I'm enlightened. He goes, but I do want to say this. He's like, that guy believes that without his God, I'm going to hell. He's like, how many, I wondered at that night when I started thumbing through that, that gospel of John that he gave me, he said, I started wondering how many people have sat in my shows who believe that I'm going to hell and never once tried to save me. He goes, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them how to get to heaven? Now, this guy, unfortunately, didn't receive the word. But he saw something that sometimes we miss. How much do you have to hate someone not to give them the truth? I know I'm going off track there, but I'm in the spirit. Praise God. So how do you love God like he loves you? Unconditionally. You know, in other words, God, you can do whatever you want to do with me because I'm your servant. You can do whatever you want to in my life. You can kill me now. Or you can send me to the poorest country in the world. Or you can cause me to live in a cardboard box in the richest country in the world. Whatever you need to do in my life, you do it. Because I will love you unconditionally. Amen. Just because you're God and you loved me first. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We, we, often, we often think... That God only loves us if we will serve him. That's not true. He'll love us. He'll love us. He'll love us. He'll love us until the point where we utterly and totally and 100% reject him. And at that point, when he knows he cannot work with us anymore, his love will turn to wrath. Just like any jealous person we see in the book of Exodus, he says, my name is Jealous. Yeah. Don't think that God can't get jealous. He can. Mm -hmm. This is where we get our human emotion of jealousy from God. Praise God. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and while you're turning there, there's some things that are just counterintuitive to our intelligence. And so we don't need to rely on them. Um, one, one example of this is James chapter 4. Now, I know you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4. You go ahead and turn there. But in James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. But before that, he says, He giveth more grace. This is verse 6. He giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Uh, by the way, that's, that's a, a quotation, a Septuagint quotation. Um, out of Proverbs, okay? What James is saying, he's, he's, he's translating out of the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures, but we find that in Proverbs, that God gives grace to the humble. So we, we see that there's grace in the Old Testament, amen? We see that the law of the Hebrew servant was grace. It was God's grace and mercy to teach a guy that could not uh, succeed in his own inheritance. He could go and learn from a man who did succeed in his own inheritance. And in six years, he could go back to his inheritance and learn how to do it right. Amen. That's grace, folks. Amen. That's grace. Amen. That's mercy of God. We have, to, we have to understand 
is grace. So the rules and the laws are in order to facilitate grace. I was just talking to uh, uh, somebody the other day. I think, it, uh, yes, it was yesterday morning. I was talking to a couple of brothers, and, and we were talking about Acts chapter 5, verse 32, that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. God. Amen. Amen. Not that we work for our salvation, but we still get the Holy Ghost when we will walk in the channel that God is leading us. So as we said right at the beginning here, our focus is not the devil. But you will find out when we are in warfare, you, you have to pay attention to the enemy. Mm -hmm. Well, so he says in James chapter 4 again, he says, uh, humble yourselves a little later in verse 10. But he got, uh, in verse 6, he says, God giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Or in better English, we could say, therefore... Based on, now some smart aleck years ago said, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you, you need to know what the therefore is there for. Okay? So whenever you see that word therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's it referring back to? It's referring back to the part that God resisteth the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. In that light, it's kind of like Paul in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you... The word beseech means I'm getting down on my knees and begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So in other words, in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, he's talking about the mercy of God. Amen. So he starts off in chapter 12, even though he didn't. Paul, while he was writing his letter, didn't necessarily say, okay, that's the end of chapter 11. We'll start chapter 12 now. But anyway, in the next portion, he said, therefore, if we can just kind of Translate a little differently. I'm begging you by those very mercies that you walk. Where, oh, that's Ephesians. So that you uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? Amen. Anyway, so he's like, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, or therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. The devil's in there. You got, in order to resist the devil, there is going to come a point where you do have to focus on him a little bit in order to resist. Mm -hmm. He will flee from you, right? Amen. Amen. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And then he says the part that we don't like. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, if you've been wrestling with the devil, resisting the devil, mm -hmm. you've got to get your hands on him sometimes. Oh. You touch the devil, your hands get dirty. So, now you get close to God, and God's going to clean you up. <laughs> but it all starts with humble submission to authority. You can't get around it, folks. Humble submission to authority. And if you think you're talking about me, think again. This is not some self-serving lesson here tonight. We're talking about God. Yes. Submit yourself to Him. Submit yourself to God. Amen. If you, if you don't have any problems submitting yourself to God, you'll never have a problem submitting yourself to a man of God. Mm -hmm. just, you, you know, wives, you will never have a problem submitting yourself to your husbands. Children will never have a problem submitting themselves to their parents. Okay? Amen. If we will submit ourselves to God, you'll find that every other lower human level of authority just is okay. It's fine. It, it, it works okay. 
But he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isn't that amazing? Normally we think we have to go to God, and it's always a good thing to start off in repentance. I'm not saying it's wrong. But isn't it amazing how James uh, forgets to call them to repentance until they've already drawn near to God? How about the Lord's Prayer? He starts off with praising the Lord, asking his kingdom to come, asking that his will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. He's asking for all of our daily needs all before uh, Jesus decides to say, oh yeah, let me, let me just throw this one in there. Ask God to forgive you too. Amen. No, G Jesus isn't just making things up on the fly. He, he's given his own order. That's right. There's times that we need God right now. We need the provision of God right now. And, 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 and once our soul is saved, we can say, I'm sorry, Lord, for getting into that position again. Amen. Now, please, humbly, forgive me for that. So all I'm trying to say here is some of the things we look at is counterintuitive. So when we look at Ephesians, I, I want to focus on that just for a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, these are scriptures that we are very familiar with. But don't, please, please, I'm begging you, don't turn it off just because you're familiar with it, all right? We're, we're looking at verse number 12. Uh, sorry, um, uh, not verse number, number 12. Um, uh, I said Ephesians 4, didn't I? I meant Ephesians 6. I'm sorry, folks. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 4 is good, too. I like that one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That's another beseech verse. To walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. But we're looking at chapter 6. Chapter 6, sorry. Verse number 12. Yes, there it is. 612. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against... Principalities. Now, we'll start there and we'll list the four different levels and, of warfare and all that. And then we'll go and list all the, the armor of God and all that. But that's not where Paul starts. Right? At least right. not in this section of his letter. Right. That's not where he starts. Where does he start in this particular section? He starts off by saying, come on, you can see it for yourself. Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He starts off again with, you know, James talks about a godly authority. And Paul just, he, he kind of skips godly authority at first, and he just goes right to human authority. Hmm. Now, but notice how he does not exclude godly authority anyway, because he says, parents in the Lord. Mm -hmm. yes. So we see godly authority is included. And this is just the way it works. It just works this way. Right. You know, we can get mad at it, but we need to repent for causeless anger. Everybody say that with me three times. Causeless, causeless anger. anger. No, you don't have to say it three times. Um, <laughs> causeless anger. Well, what are we talking about causeless anger? We're talking about Matthew chapter 5. If you're angry with your butt brother without a cause. Oh, I have a cause. It's because I don't like you. No, that's not a good reason, folks. I'm sorry. I have quirks. You have quirks. I have idiosyncrasies. You have idiosyncrasies. Right? Yes. Yeah, but we have to step back sometimes and see the big picture about law and grace again. So we started talking to you about that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type, type deal, right? And we were comparing it to every action has an opposite equal reaction. Mm -hmm. But there are other laws in this universe that supersede. 
We see that the law is if you do something bad, you get something equal bad. But that's focusing only on the negative things, right? If we read Galatians chapter 5, we see that for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, uh, goodness, uh, uh, sorry, uh, godliness, Gentleness, yeah, that's King James. I'm, I'm thinking of other translations. Yes, thank you. Uh, godliness, gentleness, faith, uh, meekness, and or meekness, faith, and temperance or self-control. Right? Come on, we all knew that. Yes. But in twenty verse twenty-three, it says, or the verse after that, it says, "For against such there is no law." Now read that in modern English. It says there is no negative commandment against the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, God is always saying, grow, produce, bring forth, multiply, fill the earth. That was his first commandment to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful. Right? So the fruit of the Spirit must be a good thing if the first natural commandment was to be fruitful and multiply. Right? Yes. And we know that that indicates intimacy, and we're not going to get in, down that road, but th th you can draw your own conclusions there, okay? Mm -hmm. So intimacy with God creates fruitfulness. Everybody with me? Amen. All right. So there's no negative law. Well, what's a negative law? Well, a positive law would be obey your father and mother. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Those are positive commandments. What's the negative commandment? Don't murder. Right. How do we know it's negative? Because it has the not in there. Do not murder or do no murder, right? right, right. Okay? That, that's how we know it's a negative commandment. Now, we can call them sins of omission and sins of commission, and we learn that in Sunday school class. I get it. But again, we're focusing on the sin of breaking a law rather than the commandment itself. You see how we sometimes, we, we, we get into a place where we think it's natural even to teach our kids because it, it comes to a point where we're just chasing our kids around and it's just, don't do, don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Get down from there. Everything's negative. Right? So we, we learn, even while we teach our kids, it's all about the negations. It shouldn't be all about the negation. Because we're focusing on sin rather than God. Okay? The positive commandments lead us back to God. The negative commandments are a useful line in the sand that if we look back the other way, it will also point to God. That's the reason why when I was a Sunday school teacher, we taught our children, stop looking at how far you can go with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you've already gone too far. Why? Because you're not looking at the source of light. You're looking at the source of darkness. And you're... Every time you look at that darkness, just like driving down the road, you turn your head, you turn your wheel. Yep. You're riding your bike down the road, you turn your head, you tend to want to turn your wheel. Mm -hmm. You steer where your vision goes. So if you are looking at the darkness, you steer into the darkness. If you're looking at the light, you steer into the light. So look at the light. Does that mean we can't pay attention to any of the negative? No. There are some times you have to look to make sure you're in line. 
When we resist the devil, we have to look at him long enough to punch him in the eye. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or put our sword through his guts. Oh, yes. I know, that's gruesome. I know, I got you on that one, didn't I? <laughs> he deserves it. Yes, he does. So when he starts off by saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord, we're not just talking about meat fist to the head. You're just clamping us down and controlling us. Wayward children. It's not the negative we ought to be searching for, although we have to recognize that the negations and the negative parts in the law are there to draw a line in order for us to always lead back to Christ no matter what. All right? And what is repentance? Going towards Christ. Wherever you were walking before, you turn in your walk and you turn towards Christ. And if you ever get off course, you turn back in course correct. Every course correction is a different repentance. And we find we have to repent all the time. There's no shame in it. If you live according to shame, you're going to suffer. So, again, we look at Old Testament as equal in action, opposite reactions. Eye for an eye, two for two. And yet, Jesus talks about a, a different principle. He talks about grace. Well, well what's grace? There, there is another law in, in, the, in the universe. It's the law of sowing and reaping. You put in or you give, and it comes back to you a greater measure. Well, that's not equal and opposite, is, is it? But it is grace, because you're tapping into the source of all life. See, when, when you're giving, what you're doing is you're, you're pushing into the flow. You're pushing into the river, right? Where all the source is, it, 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 that's, that's your source. Peace like a river, right? Peace that passes understanding. Just tap into the source, and you've got more than you gave. So if you give, it comes back to you greater measure. If you plant a seed, it will come back and produce more fruit than you put in. It's equally a law. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Yes. But it's representation of grace rather than the eye for eye type law. Now, are they both qualities and characteristics of God? Yes. But one is in, in a person who's in rebellion, and one is for the one who is in Christ. So this law of sin and death over here, we have to lay down eye for an eye for stubborn people that won't operate in the free grace of God. But if you get into the grace of God who he, that he did offer in the Old Testament, by the way, if you just get into the grace of God, you'll find out you'll never have to deal with equal and opposite reactions. All you have to deal with is the flow. If I just get in, I get more than I give. Yeah. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because if you just give a little bit, you're in the flow, baby. Come on now. Mm -hmm. You get in the flow. It's a lot more blessed to give than to receive. Because if you receive, if all you do is get, 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 you're not in the flow. But if you will give, you're automatically in the source of all life. Amen. Praise God. I've gone off track here. But here, he starts off in Ephesians. Children, obey your uh, parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Here's a promise. 
This is good things, right? That it may be well with thee. We, that comes right out of Deuteronomy. That it will be well with thee. Praise God. Do what's right so that things go well for you. Not so that I can brag to all my angels, see how all these schlubs that I'm, that I'm controlling. Ha, ha, ha. Now, that ain't the God I serve. I serve a God who loves me and tells me what he tells me because he loves me. Yes, amen. And a God who wants me to love him back the way he loves me. Amen. Well, that's not possible because we can't attain. You keep saying it and you'll never attain to it. Praise God. Well, even Paul says, I have not yet attained. Yes, but he keeps on pressing. Amen. Keep on pressing. Yes. That's, 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 that's the message here. Tonight. That was the message last Wednesday night, if you, if you were taking notes. Yeah, we're pressing, right? We're pressing. Come on, let's keep on pressing. Yes. Praise God. I'm, I'm trying to hurry up. I'm losing time here. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long in the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. In other words, we're seeing the character of God here. It's not about God provoking us to anger or wrath. And this is the reason why we're talking about causeless anger a few minutes ago. Why? Because we'll be in line for judgment if we get angry with our brothers without a cause. What do you mean? There's always a cause to get angry. No, there, there, there isn't. There isn't, there isn't. There, there may be a reason, but there's not a cause. Another, let me explain. Let me explain. Someone hurt me five years ago. They called me a certain name. I'm interacting with this guy who doesn't know this other guy five years ago, has nothing to do, in fact, didn't even live in the same country. But interacting with this guy, it reminded me, and some of the things he said, even though they were not insulting to me, reminded me of a guy who hurt me five years ago, and now I get mad at this guy. Do I have a cause to be angry with him? No. Do I have a reason to be angry? Yes. Because I haven't let go of this five years ago. So what's the best way to do it? Let this go. Forgive. Come on. Let the offense go. Surrender it to God. Let him deliver you and heal you of hurts. It's possible, folks. We just have to surrender. This stuff happens by surrendering. I surrender my right to exact judgment on him. I surrender my right to God to take a tooth when I lost a tooth. Rather, I will get into the grace and the spirit and say, I'm just going to give. Or, if you will, forgive. Amen. Right? Yes. And then I'll be in the flow. And I'm not going to find myself getting mad at this guy who had nothing to do with this guy. A lot of times this is what happens to pastors and leaders and preachers of the truth. What happens is they'll preach the truth and people, and I'm not, I'm not saying anybody here is doing that. And I'm not, I'm not sucking my thumb tonight going, oh, oh, you don't understand what it's like to be a pastor. And I ain't doing that tonight. I'm just telling you the principles that I've found over the years. You know, I'm not accusing and I'm not even thinking that anybody here is mad at me. All, all I'm saying is don't let yourself get caught up in offense. Because right. you'll find yourself lashing out to someone that has you have no cause to do so. Right. If we'll just obey the law of grace. Jesus. There is a law of grace. Check it out. Yes. Paul does talk about a law of grace. Yes. Well, we, we want to separate law from grace. You don't have to. That's good news, folks. Believe it or not, it's good news. 
So we see the character of God while Paul is talking about natural fathers and sons. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Why? Because that's not what fathers do. That's not what our heavenly father does. He's not here flicking our earlobes, making us aggravated. Okay? He's not up there looking out over the mezzanine, ready with a little... uh, with a little magnifying glass to see what this this guy oh, pssst, oh, burnt another one. He's not waiting with the lightning bolt, seeing. Let's see if this guy steps out of line a little bit. Now he don't put up with foolishness. Don't get me wrong. We're not preaching the love and fluff Jesus, okay? The sweet Jesus that we can just walk all over. No, you can't walk all over Jesus. Okay, he ain't going to put up with foolishness. He's not going to put up with rebellion. He's not going to put up with causeless anger. You will be set for judgment for things of that nature. Okay? Turning against your brother. Okay? He doesn't doesn't put up with this stuff. So don't think he's a pushover and you can walk all over him. But what I'm saying is he's not waiting to destroy us. He's looking and wanting to save us out of our own stupidity. So he's trying to give us the character of God by saying... I'm telling you, natural fathers, don't make your sons mad. Don't provoke them to anger because this is not my character. Of the things I do, I'm not doing to make my children angry. I'm doing it to help them live. Yes. Praise Amen. God. Amen. So, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He says, don't take them off. But you do give them admonition, and you do give them proper nurture. Right? Well, admonishment means, hey, son, uh-uh, no, no. You ain't going that way. I don't care if you like it or not. You're going this way. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> Praise God. And once you start doing it, maybe I'll explain myself a little bit better. You ever find God does that to you? Just do it, and once you start doing it, you'll start understanding why he told you to do it. Yeah, God does that too, by the way. Praise God. So he goes on with a few other examples of authority. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service. As to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. There's a lot of good things we could go over there, but I'm trying to hurry. And ye masters do the same. Again, when you start seeing from the point of authority, start understanding the character of Christ is about to be brought out. Is he our master? Is Christ our master? Yes. He's my master. I hope he's yours. Amen. And ye masters do the same unto them for bearing Threatening. In other words, God's not about threatening. Son, I'm going to cast you into the lake of fire. You're going to split the pit wide open. Well, yes, Jesus will talk about hell. Talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. It's not about threatenings. That's the same Jesus that looked at Jerusalem and wept. And said, you know, if you'd have just, if you'd have just surrendered to me, I would have gathered you. Yes. But you just resist me all the day long. 
I hate the fact that you're going to hell. That's what I think what Jesus would say. I hate the fact that you would choose condemnation rather than walk in the light. I think Jesus would say that. So he's saying, don't threaten them. It's not about the threats. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. We're showing character of God. Finally, brother. So he jumps right into a seemingly different subject, but it's not. It's based directly on what he was just talking about. If we line up with godly authority, all of a sudden we get all kinds of authority. Isn't that amazing? If we will give submission to authority, all of a sudden we gain authority. In other words, if you give, you get into the flow. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. Come on, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody can be under the thumb, and everybody can be told what to do. Man, there's, there's a lot of masters out there. If you want to make your master the government or, or whatever, the TV, you know, a political party, whatever, yeah, they, they will master you. They will be willing to master you. Yes, they're absolutely willing to master you, and by default, a lot of that is the devil's mastery. But let's just let God be our master. He's, he's, he's the best one. Amen. Come on, and if, if you may not like to think of it this way, but let's just go ahead and be love slaves to Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the powers of How on earth can God demand us to be strong? Okay. I can, I can bench press probably 100 pounds. You know, maybe more. I don't know. I haven't done it for a while. <laughs> but I can, I can bench press at least, at least 100 pounds, probably more. But what would happen if I was in the gym and some smart aleck trainer came along and said, Come on, just be strong and bench press 500. Well, what kind of idiot's going to tell me that? You can't just decide that you're going to bench press 500 pounds. Right? So why would God be so cruel to come along and say, hey, you dumb weakling, just be strong. No, that's the opposite of what he's saying. He just showed us the character of Christ. Father, don't provoke your sons to wrath. That's not what he's doing. He, he's also not threatening us. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to cast you into the barbecue pit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you will step into authority, in other words, it starts off by covering yourself with authority. That's what James said. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Or, therefore, submit yourselves to God. Yes. Then you have the power to resist the devil. Heard that thing crack, didn't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> you got the power if you would just submit to God's order if you, will, if you will establish the rank and file if you come under his rank right mm -hmm. then you have the authority because that, that word submit there is a military term hupotasso it, it means to come under authority or come under the order the ranking Order that God has put into like a military unit. And all of a sudden, you're more powerful than one person. You are now representing the power of a unit. Mm. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And that's more powerful than one man. Amen. 
If you'll just submit to the sergeant or lieutenant or captain's authority, then you're going to win over the enemy. You'll resist him and he will run. But only if you submit to God first. So he's saying, children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your man, on and on and so forth, all right? Yes. And, and if you look back a little bit, you, you can even see more stuff about, you know, wives and husbands and all that. But we won't get into that right now. It's, it's all speaking to the same thing. He says, finally, finally, this is what I really want to get to. If you'll just walk in that authority, all of a sudden you're going to find out you have the power. So when he's saying in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. What he's saying is... Do the things that make you powerful. He's not saying you're, you're, you're a stupid weakling. And you need to hit the gym, pal. That's not how he works. He's saying, I've given you everything. This is 1 Peter, right? Everything that pertaineth unto life and godliness. Mm -hmm. Or is it 2 Peter? Somewhere in here. Anyway, we just, didn't we just read that on Sunday? Something about that. Anyway, sometimes I forget. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. It's available to you. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, see how that works? Put on the armor that I'm freely giving you. Grace. Grace is a free gift. Put on the armor I'm freely giving you so that you can stand against the devil. Wow, that really does make sense, doesn't it? Praise God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now again, this is, this is kind of the stuff he's talking about. Forgive this guy back here. No matter how wrong he was, forgive it, let it go so that you don't get angry with this guy because your focus shouldn't be on the humans. Mm -hmm. The focus should be on God first. Yes. And when you need to take the territory God's telling you to take, you will have to focus briefly on the devil. Mm. But understand, the real focus is, what's your commandment, Lord? What, where is your direction? What is your uh, instruction, Lord? Let's just get into that flow. Let's just give into that flow. And we're in the source of might and power. And we just go against the devil. And it's there. Pow. Well, I don't know. I haven't been saved that long. Or, you know, uh, I, you know, whatever. Hey, listen. When you're in Christ, got the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, submitted unto God, you have authority over the devil. Now, there's some devils he may not t uh, let you take on. But if there's a devil in your life, guaranteed you have the power to resist that devil. Amen. Uh -huh. Under the rank and file. Mm -hmm. Is it all right if I go a little bit past 830 tonight? Sure. Praise God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He's going to go on to tell us about the armor of God and all that. We're, we're, we're going to skip that part for right now. We're really just talking about the order. Okay? So, we see some principles in the Old Testament. Uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you to 10. I'm just, there's a couple more things I want to lay down before we end tonight. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 10. Uh, first, first Kings chapter 3. Did I say that? 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, reading right in verse number 1, it says, And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Uh-oh. Shouldn't have done that, brother. 
Well, maybe, I don't know. See, some, sometimes I read these passages, I don't know. Was he supposed to do that? Because the temple got constructed apparently because of that affinity, but Solomon also married an Egyptian. Eh, it didn't work out so much for Abraham, right? He didn't really marry Hagar, but he had a child with Hagar. Anyway, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David uh, until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. So if you remember when we were doing our Old Testament survey some time ago, uh, what we saw was David was king in Hebron for seven years. Anybody remember that? Ishbosheth gets assassinated. And now uh, David is free to be king over all of Israel. What does he do? First thing, first thing, he goes against Jerusalem. He gets up there and says, that's the city of God. That's where God's putting his name. That's what Saul should have been doing. Okay? Instead of, the, instead of letting the Ark of the Covenant, really that wasn't Saul as it was Eli. Uh, you know, that, that's the, what should have been doing. These guys should have been protecting uh, the things of God and not trying to use it as a hammer. They should have been worshiping God and submitting themselves unto God and, and they wouldn't be getting uh, through all these, these troublous times that we see that the judges had to rise up to save them from, right? So the Ark of the Covenant gets lost and then it gets put in this place and you know, and finally uh, the people clamor for a king so they get Saul. Saul didn't work out too good. So David comes up, he's king for seven years in Hebron, but he's focusing. He's focused on becoming king of all of Israel. The, the very next thing he does is, I gotta get to Jerusalem. He gets up there, he conquers Jerusalem. What's he do after that? Get the Ark, immediately. Mm -hmm. There were some mistakes made, but he finally got the Ark up there. What does he do after that? Okay, now it's time to build that temple. And the Lord said, hold on. You've done good. But right now we're going to put the brakes on just for a little bit. Okay? You became king. You're now in Jerusalem. You brought the ark into, into well, at least on the higher peak anyway, the house of Ornan, right? And, um, but let, let's just hold it here for now. Uh, it's not, I'm not commissioning you to build my house yet. As Mark Hamby says, the Lord told him, I'm going to build you a house. I know, we, I know we tend to focus on the passage that said, you can't build my house because you've got blood on your hands. You're a bloody man. But it, it's more of the order of God. David was a man after God's own heart, right? He was the father of the Davidic dynasty, but in line with the Judean dynasty, right? The dynasty that comes through the line of praise. Anyway, we won't get into all that stuff right now. So Solomon, of course, being David's son, he, uh, he does three things. He makes affinity with Pharaoh and marries his daughter until he gets done building his own house, <laughs> the house of the Lord. You notice how he got his house done. It took him 14 years to do that, only seven years to do the temple. you know. But then also the wall of Jerusalem round about, which tells us there was no wall before. And I won't get into all the details of how uh, Solomon fortified Jerusalem. It's kind of boring, but he did. Those are the three things. His house, his palace, house of the Lord, wall. Three things. Verse number two. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. So 
We're laying down a principle here. You see, they're, they're going to go up to a high place. Why? Because there's no house of the Lord. They have to go up to a place to worship. Now, they could go up to the, uh, the ta tabernacle, okay? The tabernacle uh, settled semi-permanently for years and years in Shiloh, okay? That, that's a little bit north of Jerusalem. So it settled up there for a while in, in, Sh in Shiloh. Uh, but the Ark of the Covenant left there, went to the Philistines, finally went back, finally got back uh, to, you know, Beth Shemesh and all these places, and finally back into Jerusalem under David's care. Mm -hmm. So now what about, is there a tabernacle up there? I can only assume there was. I don't know. The Bible never fully said so. But I'm assuming that if he brought the tabernacle in to the higher peak of Mount Moriah, just above the city of Jerusalem, then he probably would have put the tabernacle up there too. I don't know. So why weren't the people going up there? Well, for a long time, the ark was in flux, right? It's just kind of like, well, what's going on with this thing? What's going on with normal worship? Eli really messed things up there. And he said, why do you blame that poor old guy for it? It, kind of, it didn't really even start with him, but anyway, that's a long story. So moving on, it says, but this is a principle here. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built under the name of the Lord until those days. And so he's saying, he's talking about high places. First of all, is a high place in and of itself a bad thing? No. I'm just going to answer you for the sake of time. No, it's not. Where do we put our radio towers? In high places. In fact, when you go into an area and you start feeling after high places, a lot of times you'll notice that when you feel a particular high place, you'll notice that there's a radio tower on there, or cell tower these days. Uh -huh. The old days it was radio towers. Now it's cell towers, right? Uh -huh. yep. Why? Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He owns the media. Yeah. Well, whether you like that or not, it's true. It's true. He owns the media. He, he owns the airwaves. Okay? God owns the air. <laughs> so who's really in charge? Praise God. So, you know, we're not trying to give focus to the devil. Uh, that's the reason why we started off our lesson tonight that way, or this message, whatever you call what I'm doing here tonight. Um, and I know we've, we've exited Isaiah studies for a while. Just We may get back to it. I don't know. But the, the Lord has just said, push, push this direction, okay? So we're going to push until he says so, okay? And uh, tomorrow night we're going to get in here and pray these things in. All right, and then Friday night we'll, we'll do that, and maybe Saturday night we will walk these things out. Praise God, amen. amen. So whether you come or not, I hope that you will walk with us in the spirit, amen? amen. Praise God. Only they sacrificed high, so high places in themselves are not bad things. There are places, physical places, even on the earth today, that seem to communicate better. The Garden of Eden was said to be a mountain, the mountain of God, right? That's Ezekiel chapter 28. So the, some scholars think that Eden, the land of Eden, was a mountain, or the garden itself was a mountain. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to prove that. But there were, was a river there. Rivers have to start in higher places, uh -huh. right? You know, so if a high place is bad, then that's where all rivers start from. They can't all be bad, right? So this is, this is where things trickle down from. That's, that's our job. We go up to the high place and we condense, right, the spirit, the air, the, the moisture in the air, and things trickle down from us. 
and what we're doing up there. But the devil knows these principles too, so he likes to take over high places. And so we come into our territories that God is giving us. What do we have to do? We have to take down the high places. When, when they got into the land, Caleb said, I want to go up to that mountain. I want to take out them giants up there. And it just so happens Caleb, a Judean, is conquering Hebron, Kiriath Jireh, right, or whatever it was, and uh, he, he conquers Hebron. Where did David reign for seven years? Hebron. Yes. Coincidentally, no, it was a mountain. Where where did Edom go up to? He Mount uh, Mount Ed, uh, uh, Seir, right? Okay. I mean, uh, where, where are the Moabites? Mount Arnon, right, or Ar, or whatever it was. I mean, constantly we see mountains, 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 mountains. Jerusalem is at Mount Moriah. Over here, Mount Zion. Over here, Mount of Olives, right? On each side of Jerusalem. You know, there are places. The, the religious kind of Mount Olympus of the pagans in that day was Mount Hermon, believe it or not. And so when Jesus was going up to um, Caesarea uh, Philippi, he was, uh, or actually not Philippi. Anyway, he was going up to Caesarea. He, this was a place where Mount Hermon was close by. And this was a cave system that the legend was went down into the gates of hell, down to the river Styx. So Jesus, I believe, is standing in those caves saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And I believe he probably went up into Mount Hermon from there. And this might have been where the transfiguration happened. We don't know this. But it might be because he was taking back the devil's high place, the highest place in the land. That they considered their, their Mount Olympus, if you will, of, of that territory where all their gods lived. Jesus goes up there and he takes it as himself. That this is mine. Praise God. And this is what we're doing. When God is sending us into our, our regions and territories... You know, it doesn't have to be a physical mountain. See, I know I'm talking about a lot about physically high places. It doesn't actually have to be a physical high place. If the devil is ruling there and God has given it to you, you go up into your high place like Caleb did. You go up into Jerusalem like David did. The Jebusite said, you can't come in here. He said, you watch me. Oh, he snuck in through the gutters, but he still got up there. Now, however, we need to do it. Praise God. And, you know, this thing about the high places is very, I would love to do a whole lesson just on high places, and maybe we'll continue to do this lesson next week. I don't know. We're just trying to be led by the Lord here. But we can see that there's a list. And I made a little list of all the, all the kings that, that were spoken of this way. We see that uh, Solomon was to, to conquer these high places. He's to make a house of the Lord. See, if we don't have a house of the Lord, we are the temple of the Most High God, right? Yes. Praise God. If, if God, if the temple of God does not live in us, if, if we are not worshiping the Lord at the temple, if you will, with our very lives and with our very livelihood, with our very bodies, our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and yes, even our bodies, then there's no house of God and we will tend to flow to the high places. And if the devil is in charge of the high place, we tend to do what he wants. I'm trying to go fast here, but there's a list of kings starting with Rehoboam. It says he didn't take out the high places. Asa, great king. He walked perfect all his ways. 
He didn't take out the high places. Jehoshaphat, great king. He didn't take down the high places. Jehoash, uh, a fairly decent king, but he didn't take down the high places. Amaziah, Azariah, which is the same as Uzziah. Jotham, none of these semi, some of them were semi-righteous, some of them were righteous. None of these guys took down the high places. And then you get to Ahaz, who built more altars in the high places. Finally, you get to guys like Hezekiah, who went and started taking them down. But he didn't do it like Josiah did. Josiah got in there and started hacking and slashing everything he could. And he was the last righteous king. Let's not wait till the end to take these things down, folks. There's a principle. There's a principle of submission. If we will just submit to God, right? If we'll just submit to authority. If we'll just let anger go, if we'll just let hurts go and let God get in there and start healing some old wounds, we're not going to fight and bicker with our brothers. Praise God. And, and some, sometimes it's counterintuitive to what, you know, we, we think, oh, we got to surrender to God and, and, and or, or, you know, we got to repent first. But a lot of times, you know, we just, we just say, yes, Lord, you're the boss. And we take care of the devil. And afterwards you say, Lord, can you clean me up? So sometimes we, we, you know, we don't think of it that way. Oh, I'm an unworthy person. I can't, I can't do anything. I don't have any power. God's given you power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says it like this. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm ending with this. I know you guys are itching to go. Uh, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, I want to, oh, Lord God, uh, roll back the clock like you did in the days of Hezekiah. You know, give me more time here. Wish I could camp out on some of these things, but notice what he's saying. I, Paul, I'm on my knees, even though I'm an apostle and have authority, I'm begging you. I'm begging you by what? By the authority and the hammer of God. No, by the meekness of and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. Is I understand this stuff is coming from meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is controlled strength. Meekness is power reigned in by God. Don't think meekness is weakness. For it is not. It is not. It's giving God control. That's what it is. And when you give, you get the source. When you give God control, you have his power now. If you just let him put the bit in your mouth, if you just let him put the saddle on you and put the reins on you, all of a sudden you have his direction and the power to execute. Woo! Come on, that gets me excited. I'm trying to hurry. Now I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in, in presence base among you, but absent, I'm bold to you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. What he's saying is I have to be careful. That I don't, I don't take this authority and this power God's given me to start smashing ants. Boom, boom, boom. You know, whack them all. 
I mean, because some people, they'll, they'll just get right in the face of authority. So you can't tell me what to do. That didn't work out too well for Korah. No. Okay? Just do it God's way. Moses wasn't a perfect man. He never claimed to be a perfect man. But I'll tell you what he was. He was meek. And Jesus promises us that the meek will inherit the earth. Amen. Amen. Yes. Praise God. Jesus himself said, I am meek and lowly. Why? Because he's controlled by the spirit. Yes. He looked at Pilate and said, you ain't taking my life. I'm giving my life. And if I give my life, I have all life. Because if I give my life, I have the resurrection. Come on, anybody feel that? Amen. That's a jump right from heaven. Yes. I'm just going to give it up in order to get it all. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And you don't even have to be greedy to do it. It's all about giving up. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Some people think my boldness is, is wrong and my authority is wrong and I'd like to whack some of these moles, but that's not what it's about. Because I'm not walking in the flesh. Well, the way we know we know this one real well. The parenthetical verse number four. For we the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, if it were carnal, they'd be weak. Because that's stuff we can do. Hey, I'm pretty smart, but I can't fight the devil with my intelligence. Okay, if I were physically strong and, and large, I can't fight the devil with my physical prowess. Okay, if I had all the money in the world, I can't fight the devil with my riches. Mm -mm. Carnality is weak. That's why we got to get in the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but we can, we can read into this. Rather, they are spiritual. They are mighty because they're spiritual. Through God to the pulling out of strongholds. Now, here is how we do it. We cast down imaginations. Mm -hmm. well, we're casting down imaginations in our own head. And mm. uh -huh. every high thing, there's that high thing again, right? High place. That exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Obedience to Christ. You see what Paul is saying here? He's like, you surrender your own thoughts, imaginations, and any knowledge you may have that comes against his revelation. This is how we pull down strongholds, by surrendering everything to the obedience of Christ. He doesn't stop there. He says in verse 6, And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, do you look on the things after the hour of appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that it may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. And he goes on and on in that vein. Um, he's like, this is not about... The hammer of God and terrifying you with all my apostolic authority or all, all my pastor, in this case, pastoral authority. It's about, hey, folks, I will be willing to get down on my knees and beg you 
to surrender yourself to God because that's where power is going to come from. Amen. We have high places to take down, folks. Amen. In order to take them down, we've got to humble ourselves before God. Amen. Amen. You might have a high place in your home that you need to take down. You might have a high place in your heart you need to take down first. And then you can start taking down the high places in your neighborhoods. And on and on and so forth. Stand with me. Lord God, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the freedom just to take a little bit more time to lay these things out, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lord God, I humble myself before you. Help us to come back in here tomorrow night and just begin to submit to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Cast all our cares upon you. Lord God, help us to go home tonight with this message upon our hearts, minds, and spirits that even as we sleep tonight, this stuff be working on our being, Lord Jesus, so that we would be primed and ready so that when we come in here tomorrow night, we are ready to pull down strongholds. As we are submitting ourselves to your authority and power in the mighty name of Jesus. Can we praise the Lord here tonight? Thank you, Jesus.